Hello and welcome to Transplaner RPG. We are an all transgender, person of color led, dark fantasy actual play channel featuring homebrew stories that center non colonial, anti orientalist world building and campaigns about queerness, grief, hope, and the power of love. Godkiller First Blood is a 16 part podcast miniseries that follows a mythic, violent, and transformative tale about a single mortal rising against the challenges of the divine. Tonight, your god is me, Connie Chong, and my god killer is C. Thomas. First Blood is a dark fantasy series that explores themes that may be triggering for some listeners. Content warnings for this episode may include fantasy violence, grief, trauma, death of loved ones, major character death, heights and falling, decapitation, romance, sacrifice, religious imagery, and mentions of cannibalism. Episode 16 Salvation Rune, there is a brief window, a gasping fragment of time between your return to the Starsong Temple and the Witness's inevitable arrival. As you stagger backward into this chamber, you feel a pair of arms catch you. Strong arms, reliable arms, along with the scent of blade polish and cedar wood. Eos is holding you, with Pilandard, Yangshen, and Antigone crowding around you. As you stumble back into reality, the floor feels real beneath your feet. The mist washes away and is replaced with the smell of dusty chambers and cobwebs and copper. And you see Antigone's face swimming into view above you as she holds you in her arms. Ruin! You're back! Your forehead, it's glowing. What happened? Rune gasps as the real air, the lungfuls of air come to them finally. They fall backwards out of that stone door, all of the stars around it glittering as they tumble out of it as though they had been hovering on the other side. And as Eos's arms catch them, they hiccup a little bit and their mismatched eyes fly wide, fly open. And as they're kind of held there in Eos's arms, their hair pooling around their shoulders, there's something a little bit radiant about the way that they look up at the speakers and champions of the above and below, respectively. Something that glitters in their eyes, sparkling deep, alive, holy. And their hair parts to reveal that glowing, bright white star on the center of their forehead. And Rune says, oh, fuck, fuck me, fuck. The witness. The witness. He's on his way. He's coming. He's coming here. What? He's going to be here any second. You all need to leave. No, this is a dead zone. Gods don't come to dead zones. They're dangerous for them. They do if they're angry enough. And he is. He's angry enough. I saw it. I heard it. I, I felt it. I don't understand. How would the witness know that we're here? The witness sees all, doesn't he? He's the world. He used to be. He used to be the world. And there's something frantic in Rune's gaze as they look up and meet Eos's eyes with a kind of intensity that I don't think they've ever used staring into her face. The star. Her memory, her ghost, she was... she was in there. We were there together and we made a pact. He felt it. He felt it in the banks of the dried up river. It's... he's coming to take his due, to claim his vengeance, to claim his rage, his jealousy, his envy. 
tense silence falls over the speakers and the champions. Eos writes you, so you're standing on your own two feet now, and this huddle of mortals exchanges these fraught, dark looks between them all. And then Antigone steps forward and grabs you by the hand, actually. She slips her fingers between yours and squeezes your palm, and she looks you dead in the face. I'm not leaving you here to face him alone. Antigone. He was my god. Let me stand by your side. Runestock clenches and unclenches as they turn that over in their head as fast as they can. The blood starting to pump through their veins faster and faster and faster. And they can't help the tiny bit of, God, what is that feeling? Hope? Affection? That bubbles up as she speaks. Okay, princess, but you're going to need to stand back because killing a god is messy, messy business. If Lady Antigone is staying, then I'm staying as well. Of course you are. And Rune shoots her a terrified, sideways smile. And then they turn their gaze to Pilindar and Jiangshen. Jiangshen crosses her arms and says, Well, if the champion and the speaker of the above are staying, then so am I. Scorn be to those who say the below ran away like cowards when the time came to lay down our swords. I'm afraid I must agree with my impulsive champion here. Lady Antigone, Sir Eos, we are not leaving your side. Pilindar turns to you. God killer, I understand the danger we are putting ourselves in by accompanying you here in the final stand of the Starsong Temple. The last thing any of us want is to get in your way, or worse, be pawns that the witness can use against you. Lady Antigone, Sir Eos, and Xiang Shen, I suggest we act cunningly and carefully. Gods above and below, all of you have a death wish. Then again, so do I. And Rune's blades are immediately in their hand, those beautiful long iron twin knives sliding out from their hip as the chain rattles around them. And Rune almost pivots on their heels to face the speakers and champions, framed by this halo of stars behind them. And again, this smile that they can't keep off of their face, this exhilaration, this terror, this fear is roiling through them as they say, all right, lesson number one of being a heretic, of being a god killer, and they pull both of their blades outward so the chain grows taut. A single link breaks, a chain holds. Look out for each other, and I don't know, watch out for Blood Rain or something because this is gonna get fucking messy. We are here with you, Ruin, until the end. You may have been the spark, but the fuse was always there. Then let's light this fucker up. The walls of the Starsong Temple begin to shake. And you and the rest of the speakers and the champion, I think, steal your weapons, steal your magic, and you look skyward toward the roof. And you hear Antigone, in the brief moments before the witness arrives, mutter under her breath, He is powerful. He was the world. He is the witness now, but this is still a dead zone. Which means we can be hidden from him if we try hard enough. Pilindar! And Pilindar nods. Z raises your hands skyward, and as Z does, shadow 
pools around your feet and you see his own shade stretch out, 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 out until it folds open like a tenebrous sheet around the shades of Antigone, Eos, and Jiangshen, sparing only yours. And then we see those shades move upward vertically through the speakers and the champion's limbs all the way up through their hips, their torso, their head until they're bathed in shadow and you know intimately it tugs in the pit of your soul that they are hidden from the view of the witness. Rune throws a crooked little smile over their shoulder as they turn to face the entrance of the Starsong Temple. Really couldn't have thought of that slightly earlier, Pelindar. Would have been really helpful in the Citadel. Like we learned in the tower, I was loath to use my power amidst violence. But now, no longer. Stay strong, everyone. As the god killer said, a chain holds. He's here. The ceiling of the Star Song Temple is ripped off. In a single motion, like a claw gashing through linen, gashing through fabric, and it reveals a massive wound of night sky. A wound that tenses, ripples, solidifies, and then peeling himself off the roof of the sky itself, stray stars flaking off like plaster from the crown of a cathedral, is the witness. The witness is a massive, horizon-sized dragon. Every single scale is an eye. Red as rubies, red as blood, irises flicking in different directions, staring, staring. His claws glint gold and silver, his head is mighty and fanged, and a pair of antlers as white as bone protrudes from his brow. Instantly, the five of you feel an incomparable tidal wave of force of divine pressure sweep out from the witness's body. It is like being tossed into the hungry, thrashing ocean with an anchor tied around your waist. Even though all of them are still ensconced in shadow and their voices are muffled, you hear Pilindar gasp, and you can see Zir Shade crumple to Zir knees, not willingly, but forced there by the sheer power of the witness's presence. Xiangshen groans, she also falls to her knees. Eos takes longer than both of them, sweat beading on her shaded brow, teeth gritted, hands curled into fists, but eventually she too is forced onto one knee. And Antigone, right next to you, wrapped in shadow, is the last to go. They are shaking, their knees are quivering, their black eyes are gazing up at the god that they have worshipped for their entire life, the god who killed the deity her ancestors worshipped and forced them to venerate him instead. The god who killed her family. Antigone's entire body is shaking as she too bends one knee to the ground reluctantly, even though her eyes never stray from the witness's face. Every single crimson, blood, ruby red eye of the witness is trained on you, Rune. And in that moment, you know, he doesn't see the speakers and the champions. He only sees the god killer. And the witness rears up and slams 
down onto the roof of the temple. And as he does, the ground shakes, the rock of the ceiling cracks, and he sneers into this gash he's created like a hungry wolf peering into a rabbit's den. His head is almost too big to fit through, and when he speaks, his voice booms through the temple, echoing and echoing and echoing, even though his mouth doesn't move. There you are, God Killer Ruination, Calamity of the Cradle, and Bane of everything that is holy. You think you fight for divine purpose. You think your reason for living is anything but scourge. You cower here in the tomb of my wretched weak sister and you think the dead zone is enough to hide your presence from me your sacrilege from me i am the witness i see all i know what you have done i know the names of every transgression that follow you like drops of blood in the trail of a rabid coyote that must be put down 21 heretics and one foolish pitiable god died to give you even a semblance of divine power and for what for you to bring blood rain down upon your home, for you to turn Refinery-19 into a dead zone full of nothing but ash, for you to wreak havoc in the Citadel, break the tenuous balance of peace and order that I have worked tirelessly for ten centuries to preserve and summon the tower into the heart of our civilization. You do not deserve this power. You do not deserve this life. You are ruination. I will slay you where you stand, heretic. And when I am done, I will find and I will slay my treasonous speaker and her treasonous champion and the treasonous speaker and champion of the below as well. If you want your demise to be swift ruination, then bend the knee and pray. Fine then. You want me to pray? You want me to send my hopes and dreams upward into the river for every god who has ever died, for every god you have ever killed? Fine. I will pray. And you know what you'll see when I do? You know what those thousands of eyes will see when you witness me. You will see how I kill a god. And you will see this. When I turn to violence against somebody who slanders or mocks my pain, I awaken my divinity. You sure do. And <laughs> he is definitely slandering and mocking your pain. What does it look like as you tell the witness to witness you and divinity flares out of your soul? It is a beautiful dance, a harmonic, blood-curdling scream into the atmosphere as aspects of the devil, the star, and the river come pouring out of rune. 
That single star in the center of their forehead blazes bright white. The inky darkness eats up the sclera of both of their eyes, not just the red one, and it glows with a deep ember, a deep hellfire as one of their long knives lights into black flame and the other into radiant holy light and all around them the world ripples that city presses in against the inside of rune's chest that beautiful epic city street that stretches on forever and ever and all those ghosts down there somewhere up there Wherever the river still lives in its half-remembered existence, they push forward. All of them see it. They turn their heads from where they were walking to and from, and they see the door in the road, the door in the road that is Rune's soul. And the ghosts start to press up from the floor. Many grasping red hands pulling upward and out as Rune calls on the power of the river. Mm. And if I may, from behind Rune, from that doorway, haloed in stars, another ghost appears. A huge snout, iridescent and shining white, ghostly, pushes its muzzle through the stone door as the star's ghost starts to appear behind Rune. Oh my god! You know what? Fuck it, we ball. Yes, <laughs> the star's ghost pushes herself out through that star-studded door, and you hear Antigone, muffled by shade, you hear Aos, you hear Pilinar, you hear Jiangshan, they collectively gasp. And even though Antigone has one knee pinned to the ground, as this huge ghostly form of the star begins to wrap itself around the interior of the Star Song Temple, you feel whatever presence, whatever meteoric pressure that the witness was exerting lift as the star causes the champions and speakers of the above and below to rise from where they have been forced to press down onto their knees, Eos draws her greatsword, Jiangshen unhooks her axe, Antigone rises in tandem with Pilandar as they both pull themselves to their full height, still wrapped in the tenebrous cloak of Pilandar's magic. And the witness's eyes, half of them stay on you, the other half snap over to his dead sister and they widen and his snout wrinkles and he snarls and you see a gout of bright radiant golden light beginning to crack up through the fur of his throat as he recognizes the ghost of his sibling and as he does rune jabs forward with that radiant glowing long knife pointing at him and in the same instant that ghost of his sister strikes as though driven by the direction of Rune's sword. Yes, I think the sword that you point is the one that's bathed in starlight. The one from your left hand, because your red right hand is draped in black flame. Uh, the star barrels forward, growling and snarling in a way that she never did in life. And he slams into his brother with the force of planets colliding. Claws and teeth chomp around that glowing throat of the witness, and the star's ghost punches him out through the gap of the ceiling, just in time for the witness to unleash like a massive beam of light from his jaw, but it goes straight, it like punches straight up into the air. And we pull out wide now, and we see a pillar of light erupt into the sky and hit 
the ceiling of the stars where the dead river now hangs. And we see in the northern dead zone, mortals making their pilgrimage across the sand-blasted wastes, pause and gasp and look up and point at that pillar of light shooting skyward. We see from the citadel mortals running through ruined streets, hiding from the massive illusory forms of the six fighting each other above the sky of the capital. But all of the gods, all of the mortals even pause and turn and look as that beam of light shoots up. And we even hold on Iron 42. In the depths of this shadowy pit, we see Reksha, we see your grandmother Penny. We even see Bug and Beetle and all of the new heretics as they're bandaging each other up, as they are rebuilding their home from the ruination of the blood ghosts. They all pause and they look up. And in that circular ceiling that is the top of the well, they live in, we see a pillar of light shoot up and ignite the sky in flame. And now we pull back to the Star Song Temple, where the massive hearts of the star's ghost and the witness are fighting in the sky above you. There is blood raining down, gold and beautiful, perfect, immaculate blood. And it's splattering onto the ground around you now. And where it splashes, flames lick up in a gout and almost threaten to singe the skin off of your flesh. And if I may, Connie, the last thing that Rune says to the speakers and the champions before they teleport up onto the star's ghostly form is, after today you will never kneel for a god that you do not love, and they teleport up. I love that. I think the last thing you hear before you vanish up into the sky is Antigone's voice calling after you, Ruin, and then you're gone. Where on the star's ghostly form are you situating yourself? I think Rune appears almost as though crawling out from the center of her forehead. Like they pull themselves up and out of her body, almost out of this ghostly form as they ride on the top of his head, directly where that star symbol is on their forehead, where it would be on hers. The same place that they saw her avatar step out of her form in that vision that they were shown mm. inside the temple. And Rune up there, so high up, riding on top of a ghostly dragon, both of their blades drawn, looking toward the witness as the two dragons clash in the sky. This is so fucking badass. Yeah, you are riding a fucking huge dragon as she collides with her brother. And I think the witness's mouth is clamped shut by the force of the star's jaws like closing over his throat. And that beam of light like sputters and putters to a stop. And there's a brief moment of darkness, a brief moment of silence as that pillar of light dies down. And then the entire ceiling of the sky explodes, right? Like a delayed fire blast uh -huh. in pure radiant light as bright and as dazzling and as divine as the sun brother you killed your own lover and the star closes her mouth even tighter around the witness's throat and he lets out a kind of gurgling growl you how impossible and as he exclaims, another beam of light shoots out from between his jaws. And this one is as bright as you know it now. Sunlight, sunlight you have never known. Sunlight you have only ever heard of through myths and folklore passed down from heretic to heretic before a dragon devoured it. And now that sunlight scorches the ghostly mane of the star's fur. And it blasts you right in the face because you're right up on there. Ah! 
so I'm gonna need you to take three strain. That is compelling. Heard, taken, but Rune hangs on. They hang on with all of the sheer mortal willpower that they have in their body. And as that single blast goes off, I think in the perhelion of that radiant light, as it starts to die away for the first time, it's then that Rune's silhouette comes flashing through the air as they jump off of the star's face and downward with both of their blades drawn, a perfect arc of violence, a perfect arc of beautiful, heretical memory. And they come right down on the witness's face. Yeah, you punch downward with the force of a falling star, and I need you to inflict violence. Hell fucking yeah. So, when you inflict violence on someone, roll 2d6. Add one for each true statement. They wish you harm? Absolutely, they fucking wish you harm. You're desperate? Yes. This is the end. This is the final fucking fight. If Rune doesn't win now, then the cradle is doomed forever. Mm, I love that. Yes. It's personal. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I would say this is intensely personal. Yeah, yes. Is. That's a plus three. Roll 2d6. All right. Eight. Perfect what eight. What You needed that. Th- wow. That's amazing. Okay. So on a hit seven to nine, this part of the fight ends on your terms. How do you punch down on the witness's brow? Again, in the same exact spot where Rune had just appeared on the star's ghostly form, they punch not into, but through the (gasps) witness's head. And I want to try to pull his avatar out of his body and start falling back toward the temple with it. Oh my god, I love that. Yes. So as you punch downward toward his brow, we see those two crimson eyes, the ones mounted right underneath his antlers, flick up to look at you, but it's too late. You are burning bright silver. The star's ghostly form also glowing bright like a halo behind you as you feel her empower you with magic and you punch through his head. We see it from like, I think a profile view, just the witness's body silhouetted in black and then a bright lance of light shoot down from the top of his head through the bottom of his jaw. And as you tackle him out through the bottom of his mouth, we see you holding onto, grappling with a humanoid figure with bright brown skin, eyes that are lit up crimson, and a beautiful, handsome, soft, carved face of divinity. The witness's avatar looks exactly like the star had, except his hair is not made of starlight. It is made of pure void, the dark behind the constellations of night. In the sky above your head, the ghostly form of the star punches into his brother as the two dragons continue to writhe and fight like constellations mangling each other. And then you and the witness's avatar start to plummet down through the sky. You're so far up, it's going to take you a while to hit the ground. So I think we close in on the two of you now, spinning around in the air, fighting each other. And he is powerful. He is built muscularly. He stands probably at like seven feet, eight feet, nine feet tall, but it's hard to tell because you're horizontal in the sky and you're tumbling and you're turning and you're writhing in the air. What do you do? 
Rune fights like the devil. They fight with both of their blades drawn, crossing them across this avatar's form again and again and again, like they could not care less that they are hurtling through open air, through open space, as they are falling, 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 their knives carving a path of vengeance and fury and redemption and hope and change with every single slash that they lay against this avatar's body. They do not relent. No matter how close they get to the earth, to the temple, it's coming up so fast, but Rune keeps fighting until the last second where they pull away and allow the witness's avatar to slam into the ground as they try to teleport themselves right beside him. Okay, I think you're gonna have to wield a power. So fair. So when you wield a power to do something only a god can, roll 2d6, add one for each true statement. You've done this specific act before perfectly? I don't think so. You have never fallen through the air and then teleported at the last minute to not slam onto the ground. Well, the fool did it with me that one time. Oh shit. I didn't do it, but maybe can I get half, <laughs> can I get a half a point? That's <laughs> so funny for you. What does that even mean in <laughs> god killer? You know what? Let's, let's. Let's put a pin in that. Uh, you're desperate for this to work. Mark one strain. Yes, I'll mark a strain for that. Okay, that'll put you at four. You're close to a shrine, lair, or domain of the god he took this power from. The fool is always in my heart. That's so funny that you say that. The fool specifically did not come to the northern dead zone. <laughs> <laughs> so I don't think you get that. Okay, fine. So I get one and a half points. One and a half. Yes, one and a half. <laughs> Roll 2d6. Let's see what that means. Okay. Oh, I got a six and a half. Rounded up, I think that counts as a seven. You know what? I'll give it to you. I'll give it to you. All right, I'll give you let's the hit. fucking go. I'll give you the hit, but what this means is the witness's avatar gets to move and react before you do. You get to the bottom safe and sound, but he gets to do something first. Fair enough. Okay, there is a massive crater that just appears out of nowhere in the tiled floor of the Star Song Temple. The floor shakes, the walls tremble, pebbles cascade down from what remains of the ceiling. And when the dust clears, we see pulling himself up, right? Bits of stone and rubble just falling off of his broad muscled shoulders. The avatar of the witness. As he opens his two crimson eyes, we see a third red eye flit open on his forehead, exactly where that glowing star sigil would have been on the star's avatar's forehead. He throws his right arm open, and we see a sword as shining as blood, red as night, appears in his hand. It is maybe five or six feet long. Ah. Uh. And as you look at him now, you realize he's not seven feet tall. He's not eight feet tall. He's not nine feet tall. He is 12 feet tall. He towers there, a behemoth, a titan, a monolith, as he grips that blade in his hand and he sneers down at you as you glitch into being right by his feet. And he snarls down at you, Rune. You may have killed and devoured the light from two gods, but I have consumed 24. He whips his right hand down and ribboning around the length of that night sky dark blade are beams of sunlight that then flare into radiant being, eviscerating every single shadow inside this space, including the ones that Pilandar had 
Before I get to that, uh -huh. though, his left hand sparks with energy as well, and we see lion's claws spring out. Would you like to recognize a god? Hello? What? Yes? The fuck? Yes, the fuck I would. Go for now, it. Now, what does that even mean? So oh when you want to recognize the signs or influence of a god of the cradle, roll 2d6, add one for each true statement. You're in or near their domain. No, this god is dead. It has been consumed by the witness. You're familiar with their gospel. No, if they were consumed by the witness, they've been dead longer than I've been alive. Yep. It'd be bad if you didn't know. Absolutely. So that's a plus one. Oh boy. Ooh, see, roll better than that challenge, a six. A six. On a miss, the GM will only tell you the most common legends about them, nothing more. You see that lion's claw flash into being, and your mind immediately starts going through like a list of all the gods the heretics have ever told you about, all the gods that have died. Lion, 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 lion imagery, and then it clicks. Strength. Oh, no. This is bad. <laughs> Strength was obviously the strongest god of the cradle, and she was devoured by the witness. And now the witness is imbued with her power in his left hand and the power of the sun in his right. Speaking of which, those beams of light have singed every single shade away. And now the witness's third eye flicks to the left, to the right, up and down as it sees. She had been arcing through the air in a perfect crescent. Eos. Let's go, baby! Covered by Pilindar's magic, up until the very last moment, her greatsword was swinging down, down, down at the witness's avatar's head. But it's a little too late, because his magic ignites at the perfect time. He turns and parries her blade with his own. And there is a noise like steel singing against gemstone, and Eos flies back through the air and punches into a wall and hits the ground. But she wasn't the only champion that had flung herself at the witness's avatar coming out from his blind spot. Xiang Shen with the steel chair, yes. with the axe. She swings her blade upward from the ground. I think it slides against the tiled floor and causes sparks, you know, yes. to erupt from where it contacts the blade and it's upward like a baseball bat swinging and she hits him. She hits the witness's avatar in the back while it was turned facing Eos and we see a slash erupt upward, but no wound appear. Mm. The witness's avatar cocks his head to the side, turns to look down at this panting, barely out of adolescence girl, and his claw flashes out almost faster. Absolutely the fuck not. Go on. Don't fucking touch my sister. And Rune is there. They're fucking there. I cannot tell you how fast they get there. It's somewhere between movement and teleportation, and I am going to absolutely parry that fucking blade and try to stab him in the gut. Love it. How do you do it? Do you cross your blades to catch it? Absolutely, I do. The blades cross upward, slide up, parry, push him as far and as hard as they can to the left, and then the other sword drives in to cover Jiangshan so she can get further back. Yeah, that does happen. We see Jiangshan's eyes go wide as she sees her life flash before her gaze as that big lion claw comes down, and then you're there. You intercept it. You push the god's avatar away, and she nods, braces herself, steadies her axe, and like runs back out to circle the fight. And from a corner, we hear Antigone go, Eos! Eos, no! Eos, wake up! Wake up! And we hear a pained groan and like a scattering of pebbles onto the ground as Eos picks herself back up. Ugh, it's nothing. 
God's avatar doesn't punch as hard as I thought it would. As Eos pulls herself up to her full height, her cape rustling as Antigone quickly backs away from where she is. When the witness's avatar hears that, he's still parrying you, right? He's fighting you now with that one blade. Yeah, Rune is just embroiled in fighting him. Yes, you're, ab- you're just like dueling at this point. And as he flashes out with this perfect swordsmanship, you get the feeling that this ability to parry, his ability to fight is not his natively. It was probably also poached from another god. I can let you keep your miss from earlier as you determine what this god is, or you can try to roll again. But beware, if you roll another miss, I'm going to hit you with a hard move. Would you like to take this bargain? How could I say no to a devil's bargain? Look at me. (laughs) I'm just a little devil guy. You're just a little guy. Rolling again with a plus one. Go for it. Ooh, nine. That is a perfect hit. Thank you, devil. (laughs) The GM will give you a clear interpretation of the omens. Ask your GM a single follow-up question of your choosing they must answer honestly. First, I'll give you that clear interpretation. These are the perfect, studied, controlled movements of temperance. You bastard. Temperance, a god of balance, a god of moderation, of management, of accommodation, economy, and frugality. Temperance's every movement had been economical. Everything they did was for a reason, was efficient. And now you see the witness drawing upon this efficient muscle memory, this consumed fragment of power he ripped from another deity to empower his own strikes against you. You can ask a single follow-up question of your choosing. All right, you ready for this? Oh God, uh, yes. As the only mortal in the cradle who has ever lived that has been able to take powers of gods for myself. Uh-huh, what a horrifying preamble. How do I take that from him? <gasps> I think an image flashes across your mind's eye. An image of a mighty lion being felled by the sting from a lowly, a miserable centipede. What? Athamos's power is siphoning. <gasps> My dear god killer. Oh, I totally forgot. This is the biggest Uno reverse of me forgetting things that was on my sheet. (laughs) Oh my god. And for the first time, having never once spoken anything other than hatred for Athamos, the Ten of Wands, the Unsighing Toil, servant of the Emperor and the Empress, Rune clasps their hands in prayer, both of their long knives crossing over their heart. And I would like to manifest a miracle. Oh my god, Uh, this is a crucible move. When you manifest a miracle, sacrifice a power. Describe how you channel that power into the world to its fullest potential. Then erase it from your sheet, you can never use it again. I would like to sacrifice Athamos' power of siphoning as Rune finally gets an opening. And just like they did with the devil, a perfect mirror image seven years ago, Rune drives that flaming black long knife into the avatar of the witness's chest. And under their breath, they mumble, this is for you, devil. And as Rune pulls it back, I want to siphon out every single (gasps) power that the witness has ever claimed from devouring another god and take them for myself. Oh my god! <laughs> well, 
this is a miracle! So it works! Yes, you push your blade in to the witness's chest all the way to the hilt. And he stumbles backward for like a moment and then steadies himself, looks down at you with your hands gripped around the hilt, your face twisted in concentration and fury. And he throws his head back and he laughs. The witness's avatar says, <laughs> Oh, God, killer. You're going to have to do better than that to slay me. This isn't even my true form. It must have just been luck that let you fell the chariot and Athamos and even the devil. Rune's mismatched eyes flick upward to meet the witness's avatar. And then they smile. That devilish, wicked, violent smile. Haven't you heard, witness? I like to get my little pleasures in. And it's the devil's voice that overlays with Rune. Yes, it's underneath yours, yes! You see the witness's three eyes fly open and in that split second, he realizes his error, but it's too late. And Rune pulls the blade out. Yup, as you yank that blade out, his like lion's hand flashes forward with a no! He grabs onto the blade and it slices his palm in a great big slash of golden blood as we see that lion claw just flicker and then vanish. It cracks into a thousand shards around him as we see ribboning out of that wound in his chest every single of the 24 powers he has devoured from gods major and minor across the crater escape that hole in his chest, ribbon up the length of your blade, and imbue themselves into your soul. And Rune, you're hit with 24 different divinities now <laughs> swirling in your soul. It is, I think it paralyzes you for a moment as we see the river flare around you. I think we see buildings shimmer in ghostly fashion, just all across the Starsong Temple, we see your eyes go wide. Black tears leak from the edges of your gaze from just the overwhelming force of all this power flowing into your body all at once. You feel strength roaring like a lion untamed through a jungle that is now long forgotten and blown to dust. You feel temperance, scales of balance, a jug of river water pouring out of their hands, the sensation of control and balance. You feel the sun, wings splayed bright, Feathers flapping like a phoenix risen from ash, golden beams shooting through your soul, and you feel 21 other gods swirling through you. So many of them, their names flitting through your mind instantly. You internalize them instantly, gods minor and major. And when you open your eyes again, your tears stop. And I think your shoulders are rippling with power, with energy, a rainbow aurora borealis hovering around you as you're now ensconced with divinity. And in this moment of stillness, of overwhelming divinity flowing through your veins like golden light, like iridescent shadow, suddenly the witness is right in front of your face. He had moved without moving. He is there. He is faster than light, faster than the eye can track. And you see his beautiful, gorgeous, irreparably handsome expression sneer down at you. <sighs> you may have taken these gods' powers for your own, but do not forget, I was the one who felled them in the first place, and I can fell them again. And his blade punches into your chest. 
in a perfect mirror of where your knives had slipped into his. Uh-huh. Rune, I'm going to need you to take three strain. That is more strain than I have available to me. So... I think what this means before we get to any moves is there's a moment where we see his blade whoosh, punch out through the back of your body, through your spine, and blood, red blood, mortal blood. You still bleed like a mortal brood, even though there is so much godhead swirling around you, but your death, you can feel it is coming. It punches out through the back of your body, and I think you stagger backward from the force of it, mm. and the witness even lifts you on his blade with oh a single God. hand. You slide down another foot down the length of his blade as he lifts you up into the air and he says, is this all you have? A couple of parlor tricks. I'm not impressed. I thought you'd be more of a challenge, God killer. There is a moment of suspended time, of pain immaculate, as you are there, speared through the chest, held aloft by the witness's hand. And in that moment, you know, the witness is going to kill you. That's it. <sighs> and just as you see that violent intention twitch in his hand, glimmer in the depths of his beautiful crimson eyes, punching out of nowhere, Xiang Shen and Eos oh my God. on either side of the witness tackle his body with their blades. Like a sword comes down on his right side, the flat blade of Xiang Shen's axe comes down on his left side, and that's not all. Shadows, like a shark swimming through water, flit through the ground as we see Pilindar on the far end of the temple raise your hand and command the shades in this room, now that the light of the sun is gone, to rise up mm. and ribbon themselves up around the witness's legs to pin him in place, and also punching out of your own body, exploding out through the wound in your chest, are the 24 ghosts of the gods that the witness has consumed. They explode out of you furiously, grasping claws slashing jaws, biting, weapons scything through the air as the ghosts, the champions, and Pilandar attack the witness at the exact same time. Distracted by this, unable to finish the job, the witness casts his gaze away from your face and lets out a, Gah! oh, you pitiable, and he casts his sword down and I think you fall off of it and stumble backward, blood pouring from your body. Yeah, Rune's legs can't even hold them up. They just crater to the floor and they twist and they fall facing the sky. As you do, you look up through that cratered wound in the ceiling to see the ghost of the star and the heart of the witness still embroiled in a desperate fight. It seems evenly mashed as far as you can tell, but something about the star's body is beginning to fade. Whatever special connection the two of you have, it's not permanent. It is temporary. You don't have much time left. Oh, probably because I'm dying. Yep. And as your eyes continue to fixate on that fight above your head, Antigone, her face cuts in in front of your gaze. She is right by your side. She is cradling you. She is grabbing you. She's trying to staunch the bleeding at your chest. And she's going, Ruin, Ruin, no. Ruin, we're so close. Ruin, please, you can't go. Not like this. Pick yourself up. Oh, come on, princess. That fucking hurt. Give me a second. And Rune puts a hand over that gigantic hole in their chest, feeling the blood, feeling everything. But they're still going somehow. And they realize what it is. That light 
in the center of their forehead hasn't dimmed yet. <gasps> that hope hasn't left them yet. Yes, I love that because the star's gift to you, her power is hope. So as long as that hope is still there, you cannot go down, God Killer. Unless I want to. Exactly. You are at six strain. The blood pours from your chest as you pull yourself up to a sitting position. Your entire body, your leather armor, your tunic, the hilts of your blade stained with crimson liquid. <laughs> Ruin, you're, you're bleeding your heart out. Let them try to kill me, princess. Let them keep trying. I'm not leaving you like this. I'm not leaving the cradle like this. Not yet. And Rune's gaze tips upward to look at his heart. Antigone's eyes follow yours, and then she flicks back down at the two of you, lock gazes. His heart. His downfall. Ruin. And something flashes in Antigone's eyes. It's not worship. It's not reverence. It once was. It's now a ghost of it, crystallized into comprehension. Antigone was once the tongue of truth, the seer of knowledge, the prophet of the witness. He saw all because of her. He saw through her eyes. He understood through her taste. And though she has renounced him, a fragment of his knowledge remains on her tongue. And she says to you, her eyes clarifying with understanding, his downfall, ruin, I know it. It's been in front of me this entire time. I don't know how I haven't figured it out yet, but... It is his eyes. Ruin, they are always looking, they are always seeking. Nothing is ever enough for him. He felled the star, he felled strength, he felled the sun, he felled so many countless other gods, major and minor, and it is never enough. It isn't, it wasn't, it won't be. He doesn't see what he has, he sees what he doesn't, and what might happen. Ruin. His downfall is his paranoia. The same downfall that led him to slay my family, to destroy those most devoted to him. And his heart is up there. In that case, princess, you're gonna need to hang on really tight. And Rune slips an arm around her waist and wills themselves with the last bit of strength that they still have coiled around them up onto the star's head. Yes, you do it. You grab Antigone and the two of you vanish in just an explosion of dust by your feet from the temple floor up into the sky. And the night sky is so dark around you, the dead river so desiccated and gray above your heads and wind rushing all over you, the mane of the ghostly star rippling across your feet, her bone white antlers gleaming like starlight across the two of you's form. And in front of her, tackled in her jaw, clasped in her claws, the body of his brother, the witness. They're entangled now, snapping at each other, both of them bloodied, ghosts radiant blood dripping off of the scales of the star and real actual liquid sunlight blood gashing and gouging from the wounds on the witness's body. <sighs> 
and Antigone like grabs onto you to prevent herself from falling off, right? You can feel her trembling, but there is also something so solid about the way she holds onto you. And Rune, even as ghostly blood trickles from the scales of the star's wounded body, you feel your own mortal blood, red as fire, red as hellflame staining the front and back of your clothes and you know you don't have much longer before this adrenaline this star blessing goes what do you do when we go we go together and as antigone grabs onto rune they easily they're so confident up so high they've never been afraid of heights and they've never been afraid of falling and they take antigone's hand put it in theirs wrap together their hands around that radiant long knife and then rune steps behind her to hold her against their front and takes her other hand wraps it around that flaming black knife and together rune crosses the blades over them together holding her really close as they incline their head toward her neck toward her ear antigone sing princess of heretics are you ready to kill a god Ruin. I am. Witness! Look at me. Look at us. This is what your tyranny has brought. You could have been everything. You could have been everything to us. You were the world. And you gave it up for your envy. For your pain. I pity you for not seeing the devotion that you have always had, for the love that you have always had. And I pity myself for not having been able to see the same. But the difference between us, witness, is that I can change. I am mortal, and I am everything, and I am the god killer. And now I take vengeance. Antigone cuts in. Her dark gaze locking onto every single crimson eye on her former god's body, and she says with nothing but the truth on her tongue, Witness, I would have loved you. I would have. If you had just told me the truth about why you killed your sister, about even why you killed all these other gods, about the beginning of the devouring, about the end of it, I would have loved you. I would have understood you. I would have seen in you a reflection of myself, someone who thought themselves unworthy of love. Oh, witness. My witness. You have been my everything. You have been my world. And you were our world, the world of the entire cradle. We would have loved you, too. But you made your choice. Over and over and over and over and over again, you made your choice, my witness. And now, you are no longer mine. You belong to death. And Rune and Antigone fall off the star's head as she disappears into radiant starlight, a thousand stars erupting from her ghostly form, all of them falling down onto every part of the cradle. Thousands of them, millions of shooting stars falling down, down, down onto the irradiated, desiccated earth. And as they fall, they move past the witness's head, his massive jaws, thousands of teeth, his eyes, until they're at his neck. And Rune's hands guide Antigone's 
both of them holding those twin blades as Rune slashes outward and they cut off his head. <laughs> Rune, I need you to roll to kill a god. Okay. Twelve. Full hit. <laughs> that is a strong hit. On a strong hit, 10 plus, their death transforms, liberates, or shields an aspect of the cradle. Describe what and how. As the witness's head falls away from his body, the river erupts out of it, punches into Ooh. the sky, and pulls at Rune, all of the blood flowing down as they are starting to enter free fall with Antigone still holding her tight against their chest behind them like wings stretching upward into the sky is the river itself. It pushes out of them like a flood held back for thousands and thousands of years. Every ghost, every god, every divinity comes pouring out of Rune and back into the sky. Rune. You fall. It's such a familiar feeling, you're right. You've always been used to falling. You've never been scared of it. Looking up at the night sky, you see stars beginning to wink back into existence. Stars that the horizon has not known for a thousand years. You see the river pouring out through that wound in your soul, bleeding upward, a reverse waterfall of life and death as it blossoms across the horizon. It is beautiful, Rune. It is a sight you've never seen. It is a sight you've always known. And as you fall, it is like you're falling out of the tower. It is like you're falling through the pit of Iron 42. It is like you are falling with the ghosts of the 21 damned surrounding you, beckoning you home as you hold Antigone in your arms. And Rune, as your eyes are fixated on that beautiful night sky above your head, as a familiar and soothing cold begins to seep through your soul, what words drop out of your lips? Rune, Antigone, listen to me. Rune. What? My name is Rune. Some tongue of truth you are, princess. Rune? And Antigone turns in your arms. You are holding her, I think, cradling her with her back pressed against your sternum. And now she twists as the two of you free fall. And she looks at your face and understanding a dark bright understanding settles in her eyes and her gaze widens. Rune. R Rune! <laughs> Come on, heretic. You just killed your first god. Don't look so scared. No. No, Rune. Rune! Listen to me. Listen. The cradle is going to be different now, okay? This is everything I've ever wanted. To fall with you. To make this world beautiful. Worth dying for, Antigone, okay? I choose this. I choose this. Rune, please, no, please don't leave me, no. 
please. And as they're falling, Rune takes those two long knives, still connected to Antigone, puts them in her hands. A single link breaks, a chain holds, okay? I will not leave you. I'm always there. I will always be there. Okay? Up there. And Rune looks up into the river. Okay, so when you look up, you'll think of me, okay? And I'll be happy. I'll be happy with that. Rune. No, 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 no. You have so much left to do. There's so much left we have to do, Rune. You can't. You can't go like this. You can't. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. But I get it now. See, Antigone, I get it now. Your mother believed that you would be the god killer, too. And so do I. Take these. Okay? Take these and fight for the cradle you want. That's what I want, okay? Please, princess. Rune! I... I... And Antigone's hands curl around the hilt of your knives, but she is crying and the tears are falling onto your face, but you're beginning to realize you can't feel them. You can't feel the tears and that familiar, comforting cold is now in every part of your soul and even Antigone's face is beginning to fade from your vision as she says, Rune, wait, no, 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 Rune, wait, I, I love you. And Rune reaches forward takes both of her cheeks in their hands as she holds onto their long knives. And they pull her face toward them as they're falling. They're getting so close to the ground now. And everything else is swimming out, just Antigone falling above them, the halo of the river behind it. And they lean forward and they kiss her forehead. And I would like to manifest a miracle and sacrifice the power of the star to make sure that she lands safely. Starlight wraps around Antigone. She becomes like a blazing comet as you are holding her. And that last bit of glow on your forehead flickers out. And Rune, you are dead before you hit the ground. You see Antigone bathed in starlight the star's final blessing ensconcing her, not a single scratch or blemish. On her body, you see Pilindar and Xiangshen rushing inward toward her side. You see Eos fall to one knee by her hip. And you see yourself lying on the ground. You seem peaceful, asleep, almost your gaze looking upward. With serenity, your head cradled in Antigone's lap, she is holding you, holding you fast, holding you tight and soft in her arms, and she is crying, yes, tears are falling on your face, and her lips are moving, and you can hear her voice, Rune, even in the river with one foot in the afterlife and one foot still planted here in the cradle, you can hear her voice, and she is murmuring between sobs, between cries. Thank you, Rune. Thank you for everything. Thank you. Thank you for coming into my life. Thank you for showing me how to be a heretic. Thank you for... Thank you for everything. And Eos knelt there on one knee, the perfect knight, 
the champion whose blade is finally laid down, whose blade is finally cast aside, violence no longer the title of her name. She leans down, plants her lips on your forehead, exactly where the star's blessing had been, and you feel her mouth murmur against your skin. I love you. And Rune, now the river is around you. You see buildings, you see a street, as long as time, as wide as space, and you see ghosts. You see the ghost of every mortal that has lived and died in the cradle. You see the ghost of every god that has ever perished. And you see the star. You see her heart in that street, floating above it, ribboning down that lane, and you see her avatar on the side of the street with you, standing in front of you, and he is facing you. And his hair is made of starlight, and there are tears in his eyes, and he is smiling. And wordlessly he steps forward, and he hugs you. His ghostly form holds you. And when he leans away, he is looking down at you and he says, God killer, you have done well. You have done so well. But there is one last thing I must ask of you before you can finally rest. Let's finish this. The star nods once, serenely, closing their eyes. When he opens them again, the tears have fallen from their face and are streaking down their cheeks. And she says to you, The river now pours from your soul back into the sky, but it needs guidance to return fully. Without guidance, it will be a half-life. The river will only be partially returned, and the gods that remain in the cradle can never truly go home nor can mortal souls fully rest after death. But you, God-killer, you can channel the river by becoming one with it as death has shown you, with respect and compassion for all the ghosts and souls of mortals and gods that reside within it. You can harness its power, become one with it, and restore it to the sky. But in the process, God-killer, you will cease to become Rune. You will become the river itself. Forever. Rune's mismatched gaze rests on the star's face, glittering with tears, glittering with reverence. And they nod just once. I know what I have to do. And then they look past the star at a Circle of ghosts, 21, damned, standing in a loose circle behind her. Can I say goodbye before I go? Always. Her nods once, and they turn to face the heretics. You see them now, in the river, watching you. Their ghostly faces lit up with so much pride, Rune. You are everything they ever knew you could be, and so much more. So much more than anything they have ever hoped. You see Freya, Ellery, Clarion, Bronwyn, 
Griffin, Uriel, Emrys, Braith, Briar, Relim, Nahar, Phylon, Dalvi, Kasira, Keru, Vistar, Reyna, Lyran, Opal, Aaliyah, Tiang. We're gonna take us a moment with Opal and Aaliyah first. They just pull them both into a soul-crushing hug. A little smile pooling on their face. As I think they just laugh together. And Rune, unlike the last time you were here in Death's Domain, you can touch them. You can feel Aaliyah, you can feel Opal, their hair, their shoulders, their muscle. They have physical form here to you. Ghosts embracing ghosts. And they laugh as well, silvery tears streaking down their translucent faces. And then they step back so you can say your goodbyes to the rest of them as well. Henrun does. Their hand passes through. Their long-lost family. Smiles. Hugs. Handshakes. They make sure Bronwyn knows that Bug and Beetle are well taken care of. They thank Freya for the move that brought down not one but two gods. And then they finally pause in front of Xiang. The ghost that has haunted them for so much longer than the others. And they look up into his face. And then they smile. And they just wrap their arms around him. He wraps his arms around you as well. And he holds you tight. And when he pulls away, he says, When my daughter looks up into the night sky, I can rest easy knowing that you are watching over her. I finally did it. You did. You can rest now. Thank you. For believing in me and for loving me. Even when I didn't understand it. I will forever be proud to have called myself a heretic. To have called myself God Killer. And to have called myself your child. And returns back to the star. The star holds out a hand, and you know it's time. It's time to go, Rune. And Rune reaches their fingers out, and they take her hand. Her hands are cold and warm at the same time. The void of space, the warmth of stars. She begins to guide you off of the bank, into the flow of the river. She takes one foot off of the sidewalk, and before you can lift your foot off of it as well, both of you hear a voice from behind you. Wait. And standing there, wings folded into his back, Eyes the most still and serious and solemn you have ever seen them is the devil. The star turns. She pauses. The two gods exchange a look that lasts a lifetime. And you feel the star's hand tremble in yours, Rune. The devil says, looking at both of you. I hid for ten centuries in anger 
and shame and hatred. I let the love I held for you fester into a deep, dark loathing for myself and everything around me. But now, the cradle has a second chance. The river has a second chance, and yet, you, Rune, do not. You may possess the power of the divine god-killer, but your heart is still mortal. You deserve the future of a mortal as well. Devil. Rune's brow furrows, your gaze pulling up to this god that has been with them for so long. You have shown me that hatred is a powerful weapon, yes. But it is still only ever a weapon. It can cut. It can kill. Perhaps it can protect. But it cannot fix. It cannot repair. It cannot heal. I am a dead god, heretic. I have already had a thousand lifetimes to spend with the star. A thousand lifetimes to make a million mistakes. But you haven't even had one. Which is why I am breaking our contract, Godkiller. What? And the devil reaches into his chest and pulls out your blade. Rune, the same blade that had stabbed them through the heart and felled them seven years ago in that doomed cathedral. And he holds that blade out now to you. Rune's eyes are wide and uncomprehending. They stare at the blade and then back up at the devil. I don't understand. I can take your place in oblivion. A soul for a soul, bound in prophecy together. The destiny of a god for the destiny of a god-killer. That feels like equivalent exchange to me, Oblivion. What about you? And the devil isn't talking to you with that question, Rune. The devil is looking past you. And when you turn, when you both turn, do you see that the street is empty? The Twenty-One Damned are gone, the ghosts of every mortal and god are gone, it's just the architecture of the river itself, it's just you, the star, and the devil on the banks. And there's someone else on the banks, too. You see Death, with her wide-brimmed hat, Death, with her red-tinted shades, Death, with her robe and her tattoos of every name she has ever reaped. But the devil isn't talking to Death. The devil is talking to another figure, standing in the middle of the street, the only figure in the river itself. Oblivion. And Oblivion says, I go by a different name now, devil. Still, that's very generous of you to offer. You do understand what coming with me entails, don't you? This is the death of death. Whoever I take can never be returned to the journey. I understand. 
God Killer, take your blade and break our contract. What? No! No, what about the river? What about, what about the cradle? What about listening to death? And they gesture back at her and guiding it, guiding it with compassion and love and hope and vengeance and rage and all of me. And you will, mortal, you will guide the river in life as I take your place in oblivion. And together, from both sides of this journey, we will watch over the cradle forever. But, but I chose this. Devil, I chose this. And this is my choice, God Killer. I have let rage, hatred, and despair drive me for a thousand years. I died with cruelty and vengeance in my heart. But now, I have a chance to do the right thing to help someone, to give you a second chance. Rune is speechless. There are no words that come to them, but tears, salty and wet, start pouring down their cheeks. Thank you. I will not forget what you have done for me, devil. I will not. I will not forget. <laughs> oh, and the devil cocks his head to the side, and that classic devil smirk comes across his lips, and he says, Darling, you couldn't forget me if you tried. <sighs> Shut up, I'm trying to mourn you right now. Don't make me angry again. <laughs> <sighs> Oblivion, I'm ready. And the devil pauses by death. They exchange a look, a soundless glance that communicates lives and lives and infinities unspoken. And for a second, death looks like she wants to say something out loud. She looks like she wants to reach out a hand to grab the devil's wrist. But then the devil walks past her and she doesn't move to stop him. The devil pauses next to you. And he rests a hand on your shoulder. And you feel that warm hellfire spread through your soul. And then he steps past you, toward the bank of the river, where the star is with one foot in it and one foot out of it. The devil turns to face the star, and he leans in, and she leans in, and they kiss. And the kiss lasts forever. And the kiss lasts for no time at all. And when the devil pulls away, his face is glistening with starlight. Then he starts to move away from her, but then the star interlaces her fingers with his and says to him, My devil, I will not let you go into oblivion alone. I was with you in the start. I will be with you forever in the end. And the devil laces his fingers with his and squeezes their hands together. And with both of them in the river, the devil and the star turn their backs on oblivion and they look at you, Rune, and they look at death. And the devil says to you, Go back to the god killer. 
Live the life I denied myself with a thousand years of loathing. Live the life I wanted with the star and with death. Live the life that the Twenty-One Damned deserved. The life all of you mortals deserve. The life you deserve. Farewell, Rune. The Devil and the Star turn around, and they step forward, calm and assured. They do not look back, they do not falter, they simply walk forward. And then Oblivion holds out her hands, and he ushers these two gods who created the god-killer in a divine act of love and rage and grief and hope into the peaceful, waiting arms of salvation. Death steps forward, and you feel her put an arm around your shoulder, and her touch is cold and familiar and soft. And you see, on the exposed skin of their chest, two new names swirl into being, inked permanently over her heart. The devil and the star. And death says to you, Come now, god-killer. Let's get you home. Rune. For the very first time, peace settles across the Star Song Temple, across the northern dead zone, across the entire cradle. Through the hole in the ceiling of the temple, the gray night sky slowly starts to fill in with colors. The first color that comes is a deep, dark, rich purple that bleeds across the horizon like ink across canvas. Following the purple are waves of dancing, flowing, light, tall, lustrous plumes of an aurora borealis. There is music, too, now, an atmospheric, cradle-spanning song that starts to play as the river returns to the sky, a song that is uplifting and ethereal and as familiar as an old friend's embrace. There is also a sensation, a sweeping, freeing sensation that washes over everyone in the Star Song Temple and sweeps outward from the northern dead zone, reaching the fool who sits upon the roof of a building gazing up at the coloring in sky. It reaches the cannibals in the chariot's coliseum. It reaches the mortals of the heavenly citadel. It reaches the coats and rats of Chemical 4. It reaches the factory workers of Refinery 19. It reaches the heretics of Iron 42. Reksha, your grandmother, all staring up at this now blooming night sky. It reaches every single mortal and god in the cradle. And with a final thrum, a ripple of magic, Across the horizon, a final explosion of color and light and sound and sensation. The river is back. 
One by one, across the cradle, we see gods rising into the atmosphere. Gods who look like wolves. Gods who look like rain clouds. Gods who look like swords pointed northward. Gods who look like shadows and buildings and filaments and salt and muscle. Gods who look like all of us. Like birds taking to flight, like fish taking to the sea, like mortals taking to dance and song and story, so too do the gods take to the river, surging up, up, up until the entire sky is filled with their ghostly, ethereal bodies. As the gods return home, different strings of color light up the sky, joining the aurora borealis above our heads in luminescent harmony. We see the dark gray of the Three of Swords, the sweating green of the Seven of Coins, the winking gold of the Page of Cups, the sturdy brown of the Queen of Wands. One by one by one by one, all the surviving gods of the Devouring populate the night sky. We even see what remains of the Six, the Wheel of Fortune, the Magician, the Hierophant, the Emperor, the Empress. Judgment remains in the below, his axe-shaped head tilted skyward, his fist clenched with the knowledge of his still-remaining duty to the cradle. There are gaps in the sky as well, empty black streaks where the gods taken by the devouring or by oblivion used to be. The center of the borealis is blank, and the space right next to it is blank as well. There is no star, there is no devil. They are somewhere beyond the reach of even the river now. But something about their absence doesn't bring despair. It brings sorrow, yes, but it also brings peace. Rune, you are cradled. In Antigone's arms, as your eyes flutter open, as you feel a deep, ugh, painful ache of your soul settling back into your body as you feel your bones creaking, your marrow thrumming with blood, and Antigone's face above yours still wet with tears, Eos's face there as well, Pilandar's Tiangshen's, and as you gasp back into life, what do you do? I love you too. Rune! <laughs> and Eos gasps as well. Rune! <laughs> you didn't think that I'd leave without saying it too, did you? And they flitter their eyes open and look at their family. And as your family closes in and hugs you so tight you feel your heart might burst. Rune, you know that one day you will return to the river. And you know that that day is coming sooner than most. All the years you've tithed to Athamos as a young heretic will catch up to you. You know how much time you have left. A decade to live your life in the cradle to its fullest. And when those ten years are up, you will see death once more. But until then, Rune, you spend your days with your family. You spend your days with your grandmother, with Reksha, with Bug and Beetle, with the new heretics of Iron 42, with Pilandar and Xiang Shen, with Eos, with Antigone. 
You spend your days with people you love and with people who love you. You spend your days laughing and crying, dancing and dreaming, singing and hoping, surrounded by family. And of course, you spend your days as the God Killer, as Ruination, the Hellfire of the Cradle. Thank you so much for listening to God Killer First Blood. This has been such a special miniseries for myself and C, and sharing this story with all of you has meant the entire world to us. This is a story about family, vengeance, hope, and as always, love. Our podcast will return next Tuesday, July 4th, 2023, for the premiere of The Chaos Protocol, our second main campaign. Chaos follows three troubled agents of the Transplaner Reification and Nourishment Syndicate, or TRANS, as they untangle a dark mystery across the multiverse. If you enjoyed Godkiller, you'll love Chaos. The story is just as poetic, darkly fantastical, and character-focused as First Blood. Plus, you don't need prior knowledge of The Second Stranger to jump in and start listening. Finally, a very special thank you to our sponsors for the First Blood series. Explain Trade, Start Playing Games, Magpie Games, and Roll. Another special shout-out to our Patreon precepts. Charles, Cora Eckert, Brooke Bright, River, Chiacres, Scruffesis, Lex Slater, Hat, Alex, Mark J, Lyle and Peanut, Spencer, Brooke in Seattle, Derek Davidson, Phil, and Aria. To help keep the lights on in our show, consider pledging to our Patreon at TransplanerRPG. Take care! and see you next week.